Hey, it's me, Marquis. Did you know that we have a YouTube channel and it's the number one place on the platform for all things Asana? Inside, you'll find demos and tutorials that cover everything from getting started with Asana to how-tos on how to utilize the more advanced business and enterprise features that power the workflows of hundreds of thousands of satisfied users around the world. Visit asanasolutions.com to subscribe, like, and follow along so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Mark Key. I'm your host. And today I'm speaking with Ashri Cohen. Ashri is an expert technologist in more languages, frameworks, architectures, and technologies that he cares to count. He is an ex-executive at multiple startups and ex-founder to his own custom development shop. He is disrupting the popular thought that startups need a full-time CTO and can save on average 400000 per year in direct technical leadership costs um, through the use of a fractional CTO, which is his primary business. Welcome to the show, Ashri. I feel very welcome. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. And I appreciate you being here because I know you got some stuff going on at home right now. Maybe some people would be very distracted by that, but it seems like you're, <laughs> you're, you're missing, you're ready to go. So I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. In entrepreneurship, you have to like, oh, something's on fire. Okay, let's go and answer this email and then also kill the fire at the same time. Right. right. You kind of have to do it. You kind of have to. Do yeah, it. exactly. You just roll with the punches. I love it. Um, so, yeah, excited to have you here. Excited to talk about everything um, tech um, in the in your fractional CTO role. I want to talk about like automation today and AI technologies and what you're seeing uh-huh. in the industry as well. But before we get too deep, I just want to provide some context to the listeners and in regards to your background and really just if you can share how you got to the place that you're at, right? Oh my gosh, how I got to a fractional CTO is because uh, born out of frustration, born out of frustration. The, the industry didn't understand what a CTO actually did. And, and most people didn't understand what a CTO did. And I barely understand what a CTO does because it's evolving. It constantly evolves. Uh, you know, a chief technology officer is the head of engineering, the head of technology, right? The role itself evolves over four generations of the business. And, and so, and so startups are hiring this individual thinking they're going to keep him for five, 10 years, right? Unless the person is a co-founder, it's, it's their baby as well. Totally fine. But most of the time, the CTO is not the co-founder either, right? And so, and so they hire this individual expecting them to evolve rapidly and become four individual different people. You start out, your, 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 your CTO start out as a, as a great engineer, got a code. You don't need a top-heavy management. Who's he going to manage? He or she. What are they going to manage? What, three developers? It's not management. It's barely... That's a team working together, right? Then then we need... Um, how can I say? Then the person needs to evolve to a manager because now they've got a sizable team, more management, less coding. They're still coding here and there. Then they need to become a leader. I mean, from management to leadership is a major transition, let alone from developer to manager. It's a major transition right this is a this is a process that takes you from 
being creative to being logical. Right? It's like asking it's like asking artists, well, you've been an artist for 20 years. It's time for you to run your own business now. Uh, I don't want to run my own gallery. I, I want to I want to paint. Right? Creating, yeah. Yeah. Right? And and the last and the last transition is a visionary. This business partner that will actually help you grow your business through technology. Oh, I think we need to put in AI, which is which we're going to touch upon. I think we need to put in automation because you know what? The rest of the people in your organization don't know about automation. Chances are they don't know about automation unless you're dealing with, you know, with with younger folks that are really very much aware, you know, chat GPT. Obviously, chat GPT is just one of many examples and we all use it, right? I use it all the time. Summarize this email. I'm not reading 17 paragraphs. Copy, paste, just give me the bulk points. Just, just give me the bulk. So, so I got into this business because, you know, I was CTO, got hired and people ask me, okay, but can you develop? I'm like, of course I can develop, but can you also lead? I'm like, well, those are two different things. I can do both. I can't really do both at the same time. You're asking the general to go into the trenches. The general doesn't even know where the trenches are located half the time, right? Yes, we do need to, 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 to have a good understanding of the field and the environment and so on and so forth, but those are two distinctly dif- different skill sets. And so they expect this individual to be this master of all. And um, uh, yeah, this master of all. And uh, typically leads to failure. Leads to failure. It leads, leads to burnouts. Absolutely. So do you feel that the the title CTO is misused in a lot of early stage startups? Right? Oh, like huge. Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It's really what you're looking is, is for a tech lead. And then you're looking for an engineering manager. And then you're looking for a director. And then eventually the CTO, right? Eventually, when you need to, to, to work with investors, when you need to present yourself in a, in a clear and concise way to partners, that's when. And even then, even in some of the biggest companies, the CTO doesn't even do that. The CTO thinks, is a visionary. It's the VP of engineering that's doing all the work. Even if your company is, you know, has a thousand employees, still at that level, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, what types of businesses we work with? Are, are there specific industries around tech that you'll work with, or you feel you gravitate towards, or does it just depend on the stage of startup that they're in? So, personally, I really like working with healthcare companies. Love it because okay. I feel like you know what? If if I can I can make money anywhere. It's not making money is not a problem. Non-types. If you're skilled and you're intelligent, you got the capabilities. You know, um, you can make money. I can make money for people, e-commerce, marketing, whatever it may be, right? But healthcare, my work means that I am going to positively impact one person on the planet, completely indirectly by maybe even six degrees of separation, but I'm still going to impact their life positively. I can go to sleep at night like that. That's the thing. So I'm dealing with, you know, there's this beautiful businesses in New York dealing with mental health and and in in Canada as well and so on and so forth. It's just it's it's lovely. It's just lovely. Where, where, where does that come from in you? Is there a personal connection to that? Or you just feel like if I'm gonna do this work, it's gonna make a bigger impact than just moving pieces around. We're gonna we're gonna reach the people. So, so I was CTO for an EMR company some like 10 years ago, right? 
I loved my job, but I hated my bosses. They made me hate my job. And, and, and I quit I, uh, two years in. I just, I loved everything that I was doing. And I'm like, I, I will live and breathe this job because I loved it so much. But I hated the people I worked with. And so from that point on, it's, it's, it's been very, very difficult to get back into healthcare especially in Canada, which our health tech ecosystem is so immature. It's unbelievably immature. It's not like in the United States. Oh, so beautiful over there, man. Health tech, you guys have it going on. Like, it's just nuts. There's money. There's, 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 there's the, the environment. There's, there's the, the economy. It's all geared towards let's create technology. In Canada, I'd still forget it. Getting anything out of the door, it takes years. I but have, it's, uh, it's, it's changing slowly. Yeah. Where are you in Canada? Uh, Montreal. Oh, okay. I'm in Nova Scotia right now. Oh, okay. Live. I thought you were in the United yeah. States. My bad. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. I mean, you, you said it and I thought, I, I assumed you were in the, in the, in the U S as well. So that's interesting. We're, we're very close. Um, but you're right. I mean, I have a sister-in-law who's a nurse. Um, I have friends who are in healthcare and like their number one complaints are around the technology and the speed at which um, technology is rolled out, you know, within their organizations, it, it's like it's crippling our, our systems, and like you're seeing it firsthand. I, I see it firsthand. I mean, I'm working with a company, and 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 I'm getting them through their certification in Quebec. Like they they, I, th- I think I think when they design the process, do like, you know what we need hoops on fire to get people to jump through for no apparent reason. It's it's a show. It's a it's the, the I call it the theater of the absurd, right? I remember this. I remember this when I was uh, was CTO for an EMR company, and then we'll go back to uh, to the topic. But right, talking about processes, right? The government has a process to 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 get you certified and so on and so forth. Makes sense. We need processes in place. They were going to do a security audit of our systems. I'm uh, and I was freaking out. I'm like, okay, I know our system is secure and everything. Like, well, well, what are they going to find? What are they going to find? Right, I was expecting these hackers to come down. I had two people. I think they were in their eighties. I don't think they've ever they've ever seen the internet. They come into our office. They ask us, "Do you have a login, username, password?" Yes. Okay. And then they walked out. And 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 all of us were just sitting slumped on our chairs, like, "This is what we waited for two weeks." Are you serious? That was ten years ago. It got better now. Now they have like consulting firms that you work with and everything. But still. It's this, it's this way that the government works that is crippling innovation completely. But we also need them at the same time to prevent bad players from coming into place, like this yin and yang that we have to play with. Sure. And actually, you know. just before our, our recording, I had a, another recording with a fractional, um, sorry, with, a, with an IT and cybersecurity expert. Right. And we're talking about all these same things, right? Like the need for not only like secure logins and password, which is an obvious one, but 2FA, you know, multi-factor authentication, single sign on uh-huh. VPNs and pass keys and passphrases. And there's just so much, you know, that is necessary. But he also mentioned that it can slow down, you know, um, progress at the same time uh-huh. if you overcomplicate it. But anyway, get back on topic. Um, let's talk about your the the world that you live in. So, you know, as it relates to building, you know, and leveraging AI technologies, you know, what have you seen some of the the key considerations need to be or best practices for companies that are looking to develop 
really internal infrastructure around how they utilize AI in the in their tech. The the bait of my existence is a founder coming to me and saying the word AI. Right? Yeah, like, I get that. It's yeah. it, it's the bane of my existence. I know I'm going to make yeah. a lot of money, but sure. we're not going to get anywhere. That's the reality, right? right? right. And 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 the, the the running joke in the industry is that machine learning is written in python ai is written in google slides that's how ai is written it's written for investors right because because even chat gpt isn't ai it's a language model it doesn't think it predicts right there's no such thing as ai yet but we like to use that it's like uh, it's like when it's like when hd came out right hd tvs everyone everything was hd you could go to your local uh you know, Chinese food places like Chinese food HD. What does that mean? I have no idea, right? It's it's become this nomenclature. Now, now for companies to even start considering AI, they have to start thinking about their data. How much data do they even have? What are they collecting? And it's not about AI want to develop AI. That is always the wrong approach. Always, always the wrong approach. It's like saying, I need a car to travel, but I have no idea where I'm going to travel, so I'm going to buy the best car. That's well, the thing, yeah. Where, where are you going? You can buy a Tesla, but if you need to drive in the desert, you're kind of screwed after 200 uh, kilometers, right? So so they they start with the solution rather than the problem. And, and they need to ask themselves, what do I want to predict? I need to predict something. Do you want to predict patient outcomes? Do you want to predict... How many beds are going to be used, the bed capacity in your hospital? That's a fantastic prediction. Good. Now, do you have the data for that? Yes. Okay, good. Now we can get started. And that's going to take months, if not years of work. And a lot of really, really smart people drawing mathematical symbols, symbols that I'm pretty sure they invented while they're writing their documents. They're like, this is now a triangle and this is now a star. Uh, you know, who's going to know? Uh, who's gonna know? Really, really smart people that know they know math, the math that makes yeah. math. Yeah, right? I'm really but, I, I, go on. Finish your thought. No, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. I am just really glad that you that you said that. Um regarding, you know, you use the the Tesla in the desert example or, or analogy, right? It's like, what are we gonna use it for? Because for me, I feel like I've only scratched the surface around what AI, you know, predictive learning can do. Right. Uh-huh. And so uh, we're seeing a lot of use cases for marketing. So lead generation, content generation, things like that, and tying it into Google Sheets and having like automation um, play out in the background. But w- one of the tools that I use and, and roll out for our customers is Asana. And they're now rolling out, you know, AI uh-huh. predictive, you know, technology where it's not just going to help you create content, but it, you'll be able to look at a project and say, hey, is this project on track what is the health of this project you know what are what are the ways that this project could go wrong based on the data that you're feeding it so i feel like for the first time we're actually seeing different use cases where you know ai or am i wrong or and other better use cases that you've seen but that's not ai <laughs> they labeled it as ai that's not that's not AI. That's algorithmic. That's taking a look at all the tasks and taking a look at uh, the 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 dependency the dependent tasks, and saying, oh, okay, like yeah, prediction. Well, yeah. your dependents are going to be late because this is late, or you haven't updated the information. But the AI is only as smart as who's entering the information into Asana, right? I used to sell 
I used to sell and implement CRMs for a living, right? And great business. Right before the 2008 financial crash, I made boatloads of money. It was fantastic. I was 25. It was cool. Life was good. But then, you know, subprime mortgage crash. What can you do? And and I would tell my clients, you are going to absolutely hate using a CRM until you love it. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate every minute of it. But when you need to find that opportunity and trace back what happened, it's it's like, you know, it's like the ray of God opening up on you. And you're like, ah, and you hear the music. And you're like, oh, now I understand. But if you don't use it right, it's not going to help. So Asana... If you don't enter the information in there, it's not going to help you. Now, you know, if you're going to use ChatGPT, for example, or maybe Asana might have that feature, write out your entire project in clear text, right? And then tell me, can you just actually create me the task list of everything that I need to do with the dependencies? That's still not AI. It's machine learning. It's predictive. It's still going to predict based on the text is going to come out with the issues that, that need to, to come in with an average understanding of how long it something should take, which is what ChatGPT does, right? If I ask ChatGPT, tell me about me, you know, tell me about Oshkosh Fractional CTO. It's going to access the internet. It's going to find me. It's going to scrape a couple of websites, and then it's going to return to me a summary of who I am. Well, that's actually pretty good explanation of, who, of what I do, right? But it can only do based on what's on on the input data. In this case, ChatGPT has harvested the internet. Right? That's it. So, so I'm going to ask the question that everyone's thinking at this point is, what is AI then? If we've all been told that AI is chat GPT and the technology we're seeing where it's just pulling data from different places, how would you define AI and what should it look like right now? So AI is not one thing. It can never be one thing. So chat GPT on its own is a machine learning is, 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 a, is a large language model, model, an LLM. It predicts the next word based on the previous word. Very simple, right? But ChatGPT on its own is not just an LLM. There's a lot more models around that to understand what it is that you're actually asking and so on and so forth, right? So AI in itself is a combination of multiple systems, if not hundreds of systems. One that's vision, one that's auditory, one that's this, one that's... That's that, right? How Think of it this way. How long does it take a kid to become reasonable? Like, I have a nine-year-old. I have a nine-year-old and, I'm, and he's learning every single day and he's still not reasonable, right? So how long will it take that child to become reasonable, a reasonable person I can communicate with effectively? It takes time. It takes a lot of time. So, and, and the amount of information that they've gathered and inferences that they've put together in order to, to become reasonable, that's how complicated AI will be. So artificial intelligence is, I can communicate with you. I can talk to you, right? And sure, hidden behind a screen or hidden behind a web page, I can have ChatGPT write a document or an article and you would think it's correct based on the facts that it was given. But what are the, what are the underlying data sources that it used? Because if it used some far-right content or far left content that's extreme it's gonna come back with it it doesn't know what it what something extreme is it doesn't it has no way of knowing right so tell me what's good for the world and in two seconds it'll tell you well we need to take away people's freedoms i have no idea right 
it could come up to that point. It doesn't because they have, you know, it, it, last point is ChatGPT wouldn't do that because they have thousands and thousands of people working in the background, marking elements as, yeah, we shouldn't do that. So, you know, don't, you know, give me a racial slur. I can't do that. I'm sorry. Racial slur is marked as we're not going to be processing this. If those people weren't there, ChatGPT would be bad. Would be I, really bad. I've seen memes like that where like you put in a, an input into ChatGPT and then it cuts to like a factory of people all typing away frantically on their computer like to produce yeah. that answer. So give me an example then, Ashri. Like you're talking that, you know, um, true AI is different data models stacked on top of each other. So give us, play out a scenario for us then where true AI would exist today. If it was marketed properly and we understood it, what would it look like in, um, I don't know, like a corporation? The best, the best iteration of it right now for true AI would be a personal assistant. It would be a personal assistant the way I would say, hey, uh, you know, message Marcus, I'm going to be 15 minutes late because I've got a flood. Right? And he would know how to do it all and he would do it in my voice, right? So it's it looks like it's coming very slowly. There are I can I can hire an AI sales agent to make cold calls for me, and uh, they'll be able to be able to answer some questions from the you know when when faced with the simplest minds. But you know you you hit it with a deeper question, it wouldn't be able to answer because it doesn't it it doesn't have that capability of reasoning. Right. So real AI is called general intelligence. That's that's real AI. Otherwise, you have micro AI, which is, you know, AI for driving a car. It can kind of reason, but not really. Right? It still needs radars. It can't do everything through eyesight. I don't know if you know how some 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 self-driving cars, how they do it. They basically have pictures of every car at every distance and then someone's labeling and saying the car is that far away from you. And then again, the car is that far away from you. It's on your left. It's on your right. So they're not reasoning, right? They're predicting. Still, again, prediction. We're, we're, we are very, very far away from that because for the very simple reason, our brains grow and make new connections. AI models or machine learning models do not do that. It's they don't grow on their own given new information. They have to be recoded and retrained constantly, which is which is fine. But you know that's that's the situation. So we're far away from it. So right now, very cool, very powerful tools. That's right. as far as it goes. That's very interesting. And so Microsoft, you know, they were leading this AI in the workplace conversation for a long time, and it makes you almost think of like you know you mentioned HD off the top. I remember when it, the HD. Um, versus Blu-ray conversation was a big thing, right? Or the you know, yeah. VHS versus you know um, Betamax and all that back, back, back when. But to your point, like Microsoft, I guess isn't following the true AI model because they're tying it into the workplace, saying, "Great, give us data, all your documents, all your conversations, all your chats. Everything is now hosted on these platforms, and now AI is going to recall." And just pull in relevant information. So, in your opinion, that's not AI. What do you know no, about? No, that's that's yeah, that's still machine learning. Okay, that's very what, yeah. What do you know about what Google's doing then? Because recently, probably within the last few weeks, it's now June twenty second, twenty three. Um, 
the CEO at Google, you know, did a, a demo and it's probably a long way from actually being released in the public, but you know, your example of being late for, you know, uh, a call, send an email and it's working now as a personal assistant. They actually demoed on the stage, you know, um, this bot or this AI module calling uh, a doctor's office and making an appointment for someone. And you heard this, you know, automated voice on on the phone making this live um, appointment booking, right? So yeah. to your definition, that's more of what, you know, AI is. So is Google leading the race there? Do you know anything about where, where that technology is going? I, I don't know much about that, that, that area and how fast it's progressing. It's not, uh, it's not my skill set, but, um, you know, to generate voice is not complicated. It's not complicated anymore. It was complicated three, four years ago, right? All of these, all, all, all of the advancements are because someone re released a paper freely available to the world. AI and, and let's just keep using the word AI because, well, why not at this point, right? Um, the state of AI is what it is because other companies and and PhDs and and researchers have released this information freely available. I believe ChatGPT was built on the basis of a of a research project that was done by Google something like five, six, maybe ten years ago. They released something. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, some something like that. So they didn't, and then they made it better, and then they built on top of it. Sure, right. But but that's that's the reality. Now that's it. Fair enough. Well, let, let let's start off by this some of the work that you do, right? Like are, are there examples or can you talk about, you know, an approach that you work through with your customers and how you would integrate uh, an infrastructure around AI and technologies that are available today? So to self-host, there's a there's a concept of cloud hosted, right? You're hosting it at someone and you're paying them rent and you're self-hosting. You wouldn't self-host your own models unless you're, you know, a Fortune 500 because it would cost you in the 10 to 20, 30 million dollars a year of computational power, right? And 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 enough staff to and enough staff to to actually qualify as a full department or as a sub company because of the amount of work required, right? Um for the most part, we're going to have this whole concept of, of commercial off-the-shelf AI, COTS-AI, right? ChatGPT is exactly that. I use ChatGPT every single day. I need to solve a technical problem. I copy an error message. I'm like, just explain to me what this is. Fantastic, because it can. It can read a couple of keywords. It can go back to its massive data set that is scanned across the entire internet, right? And come back with a cleaner explanation now. That's how I use AI. I even use it for code generation. I'm like, generate me this code because you know, I don't want to figure it out right now, but I know what I want, right? I just don't want to do it. And I tell a lot of people, and I tell this to everyone, basically, if you're dumb, AI is going to make you way dumber. Like just insanely really? so. Okay. If you're smart and you actually know what you're talking about, AI is going to make you a genius. That's the thing. You actually have to know what it is that 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 it's producing. You have to, to be able to read and say, what you just said is correct. It's not going to tell you. That's the thing. If you ask it to generate code, you need to be able to read the code. You think someone 
You think someone in a product just say, build me an app and do this and do that? Sure, it'll generate something. It won't be able to change it afterwards, right? So all of AI so far, the entire industry um, is is more is not. I, I wouldn't even compare it to self driving cars. I would compare it to driver assist. You know, you know my Toyota. If I'm about to hit someone, it's gonna slam in the brakes. Good, fantastic. That's all I need from you right now, and we're good for the next fifteen years. I'm good. I don't need any more than that, right? That's you know, it's dumb, but it knows how to do some things better than I can do it because you know it can see further and it can detect and think and it doesn't get distracted. Basically, so it's all driver assist. So we're going to have the, all of these tools are employee assisting tools and productivity assisting tools. They enable a little bit more productivity, but not that much. Right. Interesting. Um, interesting. You know, what you said there that, you know, it'll either make you, if you're dumb, it'll make you dumber. And if you're smart, you know, you have to, it's really interesting. It'll make you smarter. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And so you're talking about giving the engine proper prompts versus you know, using something like ChatGPT and just not having to think anymore, right? Is is, yeah. is that really the difference there? Okay, fair enough. Because yeah, for me, you, you, you still need to think. It's uh, right. I'm writing a big proposal for a client. I'm like, break down up. You know, I asked ChatGPT, give me a breakdown of a proposal along these main themes. Yeah. Good. Now I've got it. Copy paste the outline. Let me start writing some text. Right. That's it. Yeah. No, that's fair. And and for me, like there's a as an example that I, I've spoken to a couple times. I, I'm not a developer. I don't code at all. I learned basic HTML, you know, years ago when I <laughs> when I built my MySpace page, like everybody else. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, and, and that's pretty much all I know. I, I can read it, I can I can manipulate CSS a little bit, but I needed to make a change on my website. And I had a menu. Um, it was yellow and underlined, and I needed to make it white and bold and have it be responsive. And so I basically told ChatGPT all of that, and it gave me a version that was okay. But it, it when the, the breakpoints were wrong, so when you resize the window, um, it didn't stack up properly. And so I gave uh. it more information, and I said, "No, you did it wrong. You have to do this. This is how I want it to look." And it gave me the code. I put it in it. I embedded it in my Squarespace website, and it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And I was blown away. So I'm like, "There's no yeah. way I would ever been able to do that." I need to go hire uh, a developer now to go do that. And so, I mean, and, and I don't think I'm smart. I think I know enough about how websites work. So I used to build websites, right? So I, I can give it that information. Um, but you need to know enough and you need to know what to ask for. Yes. That's that's the thing. The, the, the you know, the popular meme is, is, is that AI won't replace developers anytime soon because people have to actually understand, they have to know what they're, what they want. Yeah. They don't know what they want. Yeah. That's <laughs> so until they know what they want, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. totally. Totally. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, earlier that you started your own consulting firm at, at a young age. You, you acquired lots of large clients. Can you share, you know, kind of just your, your, your journey through all that? And if you had to take everything you know right now, what would you have done differently in those those early stages when you were getting started? I know I would have treated. Uh, yeah, I would have back then. I overinvested in. I was building startup at the same time as I was doing my consulting firm. As soon as my, uh, at the same time as I was research and development and getting married and this and that and everything under the sun, right? I should have treated my cash flow better. 
<laughs> because I didn't because I didn't survive the the financial crash when I should have been able to survive the financial crash, right? The, its impact really was about six months of all my clients pulling their contracts, and then I'm like, oh, but I've got a team of ten. Like I have to lay them off now. I don't have money to pay them if they're not paying me, right? And I didn't have that business acumen. That's it. I went to university for business, but let's be honest, well, you're not really learning much, you know. You're you're really learning through people and whatnot and experiences. That's that's how that's how life really works. Um, so that's that's what I would have done, and I would have focused more on actually building s- uh, like systems and processes in place. I did everything right. I handled everything, and I didn't know how to delegate. I was young. I was you know I started the company when I was twenty three. I closed it when I was twenty nine. Right. Um, and uh, and I didn't know how to approach um, building a business where most people don't know how to approach building a business. Even those that are running, you know, in, in that are running their startups barely know because this is not really something that's taught. Nowadays, maybe a little bit better, but back then, even then, it's not really something that's taught. So that's what I learned. And and I took those lessons and I took those failings. And then when I went back to the working world, I really saw the working world in a in a different way. I saw how how messed up it was, how the processes were broken, how there was no there was a lack of leadership at the technology level across the board, right? You know, and then I suddenly got promoted to CTO. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Okay, fair enough. I applied and I got it. I'm like, and I had to run into it and I realized nobody actually knew what a CTO does, right? And then I left and I became VP of engineering. Same difference. Nobody really knows what it does. Then I became director and then back to VP and then back to CTO and so on and so forth, right? I changed jobs a lot in 10 years because I was just really unhappy with, with employment in general, right? It was just very, very difficult for me to deal with. Um, and and I guess I'm allergic to mediocrity. What can I tell you? I don't know. Like, it's like it's like you start itching. You're like, I can't, I can't handle this. Nothing wrong with that, um, you know, right? And and uh, and then I came to the fractional CTO business, right? And and my selling proposition to my clients is, I set up a process, I set up the the rules of engagement, I train the people so that I am no longer needed. They're like, but so hold on, so I hire a fractional CTO, yeah. I'm keeping you for six to 12 months. Yeah. Then I don't need you anymore. Yeah, that's about right. Who's going to run the team? Well, the team is going to run the team. If you put in a proper process in place and proper safeguards, the team can move as fast as they need to move. You just have to have the qualified people in place, right? That's that's just the, that's just the reality of things. Now, you still need a tech leader somewhere. So I do still spot checks once a month or once every couple of weeks. I'm like, hey, what's going on? I'm on Slack. Uh, talk to me. Let's have a you know an hour meeting. I I keep them on retainer, but you really don't need much, right? And and almost all my clients tell me it's like I I, I was um, before I hired you, I was ready to pay three four hundred thousand dollars a year for a CTO full time, and on top of that, give them a a very very large stock options position. And I I realized I didn't need to do that. Yeah, you don't you don't need to do that. You know what? Instead of four hundred thousand dollars on on tech lead, who's gonna end up coding anyways at this stage of the game? 
do it for sales and marketing. More important, sales and marketing. Even if you're a tech company, more important is sales and marketing. You need the CTO when you get to series B. Like you've raised significant amounts of money. Now you have multiple teams and now you're not engineering. You, you are now a technology company that requires a lot more focus on partners and client management from a technology perspective and and working with the government and so on and so on, depending on the industry. Then you need a CTO. That's that's when you really need that. Is that when you would so, introduce them to someone else who could sit in as the full-time CTO or would you remain yes. on? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Your job's yeah, done that, at so that point. Yeah. So that's the fun part because I because I say, it's like after 12 months, I can either stay on on retainer if you need me. Sometimes, most of the time, my clients don't need me. They, they don't. They're like, well, things are running fine now. Um, and go, I'm like, good. That's the whole point. I kind of, after after about six to, to eight months, I pull back and I don't talk to anyone and I want to see how the team operates. And then suddenly you see the team just run. Like it's like pulling off the training wheels, like slowly raising them up. They don't notice it. And then and then eventually, oh well, you're 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 biking on your own. You're fine. Right? You don't you don't need me anymore. And then I back off and I call the client. I'm like, stop paying me now, please. And wow. And yeah, it's it's a it's a really good sales uh, sales it is. sales proposal, right? It's like of course it is. you hire me so that I fire myself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then if you do need a full time CTO, because sometimes they do, sometimes they do, sometimes they have such a complicated business, they just, I can't help you with like two hours a day, something like, and I'll tell you right away, it's not a money grab, it's it's my name, I'm not a big consulting firm, yeah, you know, I I'm not gonna soil my name, and I'm gonna tell you, you you, you I can't help you, right? But what I'll do is I'll stick around for three months, I'll try to help you to identify the kind of person you need. And then I'm going to have the super fun job of replacing myself. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Candidates are loving this kind of interview. Because I'm like, okay, so what's the role? Well, the role is to replace me. What? I don't understand. What what are you, an employee? No, I'm a fractional and um, I need to hire a full-time copy of me. So let's see who you are. Right? And and that is actually really, really fun and really, really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it. Well, the title of the podcast in systems we trust, right? The entirety of the software development process is a set of systems that you put in place, one after another. The way you write code, the way you validate it, the way you review it, and the way you deploy it, and the way product managers communicate what they want to build, and then the feedback. Once you have that system in place, it's well, it's an engine. It's, it just keeps running unless you now need, you know, unless something breaks or something or, or, or there's too much load in the system that just starts to crack everywhere. That's it. And, and that speaks to your value proposition, right? Like you've come in, you've done your job well, you've put out your sales pitch. Like it, it, it's, it's backed by a guarantee, right? Like you're going to build those systems and you're not going to need me anymore. And so it's, it's helping to, to shape the culture at those um, leadership levels as well. Right. Um, what is next for you? What What is the future of, you know, the work that you're doing look like? What are your predictions um, around wh- where tech is really going to land? Right. I was, I was just on another call and, you know, we kind of said, no one's talking about crypto anymore and NFTs. We, we thought that that was <laughs> going to be the future. What are your predictions around AI technology and what's next for you? 
AI is going to help us understand how the business works. It's going to help developers read the code much better. It's We're going to be able to ask it a question about, hey, where is this happening in the code? And it will be able to find it. We will be able to understand it. Now, granted, the code has to be written very, very well for it to understand because humans can infer really, really bad code and bad architecture. Machines cannot. They, they, can't, they can't infer just from raw text how a system is actually built out. Maybe one day, but it, it, that's difficult for even the best developers and the teams of developers. So, so that's where it's going. Uh, crypto, I don't know. I own a couple of Bitcoins here and there, but I just go through a proper brokerage that's been there for you know 10 years. None of, none of these neo banks that are going to crash like FTX and take all my money, right? I don't, I don't need that to, in my life. And, and um, that's, that's, that's my prediction. That my prediction is, is um, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs because more people, one person is now more productive than three others, right? Especially in Fortune 500s, especially in the very large organizations where you got this one guy or gal in the, in the basement and their job is to just take an email received and then send another email. And that's the, that's what they do. These things are going to be completely replaced. And there are they already are being replaced. What, what six, five, four or five years ago, I think an insurance company uh, laid off an entire department that was that was uh, uh, whose job was to validate insurance claims for you know that everything was filled correctly. Yeah, okay, uh, machines can do that. That's not a problem. Uh, I, th I think there's actually a whole book about bullshit jobs. <laughs> there's a whole book about it. All the jobs that are unnecessary that are going to get wiped out. We're going to see that coming, and we're going to see that coming really, really quickly. That's and a lot of mistakes are going to happen, and a lot of companies are going to fall on their face because of that, because their AI agent, you know, started pushing out racial slurs because the guy wanted a refund and right. got mad. I don't. Who knows, right? Who knows? Who knows? So that's uh, that's my prediction. Is that concerning to you? And then, what do those people that are currently working in the basement do? What what can their next steps be? It's difficult, right? Because once you've been doing something for, let's say, 15 years or 10 years or five years, it's the only thing you know how to do. You're, you're so comfortable in that, in that space, right? It doesn't concern me. It, that's just how the economy is going to work. The Industrial Revolution changed how, you know, how families lived. Right, everybody started working in factories, and it was a mess. And there was, and, and until legislation came in, so yeah, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And systems, the systems that we trust, are like, oh, plug it in. I love like, it. Yeah, please. I'm, I'm plugging in the podcast every five seconds, right? You know, the systems that we trust are going to be largely automated, right? I would love to deal with the government with a government AI bot instead of a human, because then I'm not on the phone for, you know, 75 minutes waiting for a human to tell me I didn't fill form 38B correctly. Right. That's just, that's just, and, and it's happening right now. I put in, I was, I was researching an AI service for one of my clients who's in healthcare to, to have, to have them answer questions about their, about their profile and about their, their medical history and whatnot when the patient calls. It's like, 
you know, hey, what medication am I supposed to take and how long? And it scans the EMR and it pulls out and say, you're supposed to take Tylenol three times a day, you know, every two hours and so on and so forth. Are you seeing any symptoms? Yes, I'm seeing this symptom. Oh, okay, let me connect you with the doctor right now. And it connects you with the actual doctor that they need to connect. Right? So good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I don't need six people answering phone calls now. I need a few senior people. Right? So everyone's going to have to level up what they do to at a higher, at a much higher order. The remedial work is going to get largely automated in the next 10 years. Yeah. We'll see that. Except at the government, because the governments can't be seen firing people. Sure. So they're, they're <laughs> going to be running completely, you know, inefficiently for many decades to come, but it is what it is. Is what it is. They'll catch up eventually. Um, yeah. Ashri, thank you so much for your time today. Definitely appreciate the conversation and your perspective on AI. I know I learned a lot and I'm going to have to uh, re-listen to this to make sure I got all those notes. So thanks so much. Where, where's the best place people can connect with you? Ashricoin.me. That's my website. LinkedIn. Not Ashricoin.com. That's a very, very beautiful looking uh, model. You know, not .com, dot me. Uh, me. But if you think it's me, <laughs> if you think I'm the model, I'll take that as a as a compliment, which uh, many people have asked me because I, I I bought the domain before I even checked uh, checked it out. So <laughs> we'll have the proper links in the show notes. Um, Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Definitely appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. 